Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the FedHeads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of FedHeads and in our quest to find a replacement co-host for FedHeads, I'm delighted to join my longtime friend and colleague, Stan Soloway. Stan, thanks for being here. What a treat and an honor. I sort of feel like Al Franken getting the Stephen Colbert show for a couple of nights. <laughs> well, that's quite a compliment, and I'm not sure our dozens of listeners merit that, but you may actually spike our listener numbers. Stan, you are the head of Solero Strategies, but led the Professional Services Council for many years. Tell us about that organization and what it does. So PSC is the largest trade association of federal contractors, all in the services and technology space. And it serves as an advocacy, as a voice for industry. The organization does a lot of policy analysis, does a lot of advice and counsel to Congress and to federal agencies, serves as an intermediary for companies talking to the government. And it really, I think, plays a really critical role in what is a really complicated and often difficult marketplace. A marketplace we sometimes scratch our heads and wonder why we're even in it because it can get so crazy. The issue scope that 15 years I was there that we were involved in was mammoth. Also for me, made it much more fascinating. It's You don't get stuck in a niche. So it's really a, a voice and an advocate for the industry and also a resource. Um, they do, as I said, a lot of analysis. They pro- the last year I was here, we, we took over what was known as the vision forecast. It was a long-time product of the Information Technology Association and Tech America, which is really, I think, the preeminent forecast in the market and analysis of the market. So lots of different opportunities and value there. You, you're also a public servant serving at the Department of Defense and are among the uh, world's foremost experts in federal acquisition policy? Well, it depends how large your world is. If the world was like the room I'm in now, yes, maybe. Uh, yeah, I had the, the very unexpected and extraordinary experience, opportunity back in uh, the Clinton administration to spend the second half of the administration running acquisition policy and defense reform uh, at DOD. And uh, just two weeks ago, I just had the opportunity to re-engage with DOD for the first time. I've just gone on to the Defense Business Board and What's, what strikes me is that we're dealing with some of the same issues we were dealing with back then. So this is an episode where we just sort of talk about what's on our minds, the big issues of the day. What's on your mind? I tell you, the thing that when I look at what's going on, and not to get political, and I, I genuinely mean that, I am deeply, deeply worried about the state of public trust in government at all levels. Oh, wow. You're going to go deep. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go too deep because I'm, I'm not that deep of a person. But I mean, if you talk about what's I think about a lot and it's interesting to me that that my my kids and my family talk about a lot is this. It's not just the anger and all the things you read about every day in the press. It's just the fundamental belief that the government is not there first and foremost to serve the people. Does it make mistakes? <laughs> Hell yes. Are the problems? Heck yes. But this utter lack of from not just law enforcement, but across the board of belief, whether it's in our public health system or experts, whether it's in law enforcement, you go through the, the list. Uh, and I think that that's a really devastating trend. There's an awful lot of pressure on the community you and I live in and work in every day to, and I don't just mean companies, I mean our colleagues on the government side as well, and the not-for-profit community to really excel at delivering services and to do everything we can to innovate and excel because right now that's the only tangible way I see you start to rebuild that trust. But it's pretty bad. You know, it's interesting that trust is where it is, and it is measurably 
at its lowest point, I think, in history. Even though no one would say the government handled the pandemic in an exceptional manner, it did accomplish some unbelievable things, a series of laws that got badly needed benefits to broad swaths of the American population when they needed it the most. The public health system emerged in a heroic fashion to treat those who were suffering. And we got a vaccine. We got multiple vaccines in record time, all of which were driven by government. So it's not enough, I'm hearing you say, to celebrate those kinds of accomplishments because it's hard to penetrate the noise about government failures. Right. I mean, there's so much chatter across the media and the internet and elsewhere that ignores all of what you just said, which I totally agree with. And, and you know, how many times are we going to see Fauci as a traitor? I mean, I'm just using that as an example of despite these really tremendous accomplishments. I mean, our public health system was about to completely crater. I mean, people forget that we had refrigerator trucks lined up at hospitals in New York and it responded. There was a perfect no. Was it, were we prepared as we should have been? No, there's plenty of lessons to be learned. But I think your point is, is well taken. It's a sort of, what are you doing for me today? improve it again. And there's always seems to be a pushback saying, well, you actually didn't accomplish anything. So again, not to get too deep and and depress everybody too much, but it just seems to me that that's something that we really have to focus on and we need to figure out. Yeah. The administration has launched a whole of government approach to improving Americans' experience with government. And, And in a specific case, they've charted major life events, birth, death, emergencies, financial crisis, education, those major life events to ensure that we're bringing the resources to bear on improving the way we serve Americans at those pivotal moments in their lives. And it's really important because they often involve multiple agencies. Getting those agencies to coordinate on data collection, on the digital experience, what have you, is really critical. Also important to make sure that those traditionally underserved communities, those who might not have as easy access to government services get it, that we're delivering those in a way that reach those intended beneficiaries. Do you see that kind of initiative at least chipping away at restoring trust in government? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's absolutely what needs to be done. I'm a huge supporter of it. I think that if it's done right, it really does have the potential to help. Obviously, the political environment is going to dominate at a certain level, and there's nothing you and I can do about that. It's above all of our pay grades. But by the same token, I think even there, we need to do probably a little better job of thinking about what does customer experience really mean, and where does it actually face roadblocks? You remember back, well, you're much younger, but in the- Say that again. Say that again. In the Clinton years and then in the some of the in the Bush years, some of the biggest changes that took place in government required leadership to challenge orthodoxies in a very, very unique way. That you had to be willing to tear at traditional modes of thinking and operating and structure. That's really, really hard to do. So if CX is really going to be effective, we're going to have to be willing to step back and say, you know what, we may have four agencies involved in this. They need to integrate and they need to collaborate and in a completely different way. That is actually very threatening to the bureaucracy. And bureaucracies do tend to you know, build pretty thick skin to protect themselves. So I think it's a great initiative and I'm all in favor of it. And I'm excited to see what agencies do with it. But the question is how deep can they actually get to fundamentally transform things in a way that public goes, holy mackerel, look what's going on. And I'm gonna give you one example. I don't know what they're doing right, but I had to renew my passport a few months ago. And fortunately the FBI did not ask for it. 
And all you've been reading about is how long it's been taking. I got it in two and a half weeks. Mm. So somebody's doing something right to address some of the challenges that the State Department's been having in passport services. I'm just another citizen when it comes to getting a passport in two and a half weeks. I was dumbfounded. Yeah, one of the critical tools to help government perform better is its people. And like every organization, it is struggling to recruit and retain, although the government, the federal government's had a traditional terrible time recruiting and retaining the talent it needs to get its work done. There was an effort during the Trump administration to inventory positions that might be of a policy nature and convert them from, you know, protected civil servants to a much, much closer to employment at will. And I think there's many who view that as a threat to the non-political nature of the civil service and thereby potentially further undermining trust we have in, in that institution. And I think it's fair to call our civil service system an institution. Uh, you know, I know you're involved in efforts to insulate the civil service from those, those kinds of attacks, if you will. What are the prospects that something like that actually happens? You know, I'm, I'm reasonably optimistic that we're going to be able to, that Congress will intervene at the end of the day if somebody tries to do this and won't let it happen. But, you know, this is a great sort of example of the complexity of trying to build trust. Because if I said to you, I want to totally insulate this, the federal workforce, you'd be perfectly right to come back to me and say the federal workforce in some ways is too insulated. I mean, there are ways that you can enhance performance and enhance your ability to even hire and fire. But I mean, to really hold a workforce accountable without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so, you know, this idea of eliminating, as you said, this sort of independence of the federal workforce is devastating. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking at significant reforms to how the workforce is managed. That is probably a, a more complicated question. And so people tend to go to the extreme. I think the other thing I'd say on the workforce is um, several administrations have been going, you and I have had this conversation since I've known you, have put in place all kinds of initiatives to get special hiring authority for certain skills, particularly in technology. None of them have worked. The data is absolutely clear that the gap in IT professional skill sets in government is as great today as it was five years ago or 10 years ago. We've made nibbling improvements, but you still have roughly 10 workers over 50 for every one under 30. There's still this huge challenge. Leave that aside for a second. There's been reported, I and mean, government executive just had an article about this, and others are talking about it. The implementation of the big legislation that we've seen passed in the last few weeks, it's not just about IT workforce. There aren't program managers to manage the programs, the massive programs that the public building service of GSA is going to have to implement, or the energy department, or EPA, all of which have atrophied people over the years. And that's not just that specialized high-skill IT technical skill set that we tend to talk about as the future, which it is in many ways. It's your basic management, program management, project management skill sets, which may or may not have anything to do with IT. So there's a lot of areas in which we're atrophying talent. And I think it's going to cause us to have to step back and rethink what the balance of workforce is going to look like going forward. Because I'm not, I don't believe you can ever get it back to where we were. So there may need to be a new balance struck. But it's also really hard to have that conversation when you know there's this threat to the protections that are currently in place. Absolutely. So you take that threat, is, which is in and of itself terrible, and the timing of it couldn't be worse. And by the way, it's not just the federal government. You look at state and local governments. They are dying on the vines. They, they cannot get people. The city of Denver has something like 50 people on staff to handle all of its public benefits. 
One in six jobs in Connecticut in the public sector is vacant. I mean, there's just all of these examples where public sector is not attracting the people it needs to attract. Okay, Mr. Sunshine, give, me, <laughs> give, us, give us something to be optimistic about as far as the federal government domain is concerned. We could be optimistic about workforce if willing to rethink some concepts. You know, my kids are a little bit older than yours, but your kids are college age or getting up in the workforce. My kids and, and a lot of people I know, and it, it's not, again, they're Republicans, Democrats, independent, doesn't matter. The idea of public service at some level appeals to them, whether it's as a government employee or as, and I'm not doing this to blow smoke up Grant Thornton, but at a Grant Thornton or a company like that, in some way, shape or form, they do want to contribute to the betterment of things. We need to tap that and realize it's not one path in. And I think that there's a tremendous groundswell that you could pull out of that, of people who would do things if they were given an environment that is much more consistent with what the expectations of today's generation is than it was our generation. Amen. That's a great positive note to end on and a, a call to public service from a population ready to ready to serve. So I'm looking forward to hosting a, a bunch of episodes with you. I'm really grateful that you joined us from your house in New England. You know, I could think of nothing I'd rather be doing. <laughs> this is a great treat. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.